Welcome to the Non-Religious Spirituality Podcast with Jim Palmer. Explore the universal significance of spirituality beyond traditional religious dogma and doctrines. Jim is a founder of the Center for Non-Religious Spirituality, where you can find community, resources, online courses, and more. Go to www.nonreligiousspirituality.com to learn more. Hello, everyone. This is Jim with the Non-Religious Spirituality Podcast. Coming at you this morning from Nampa, Idaho. The fun fact of the day is Generation Z is on the rise. So you may not know that Generation Z are all those born between 1999 and 2015, and they represent about 25% of the U.S. population. There are roughly 75 million Gen Zers in the U.S. So here's a couple things in terms of the fun facts of the day that you may not know about Generation Z. First is, did you know that Gen Zers are the true digital natives. That is, they were born into the era of Wi-Fi, Google, and social media. In other words, they do not know what life is like before any of these social media platforms existed because they were born into a world while they were already here. Turns out that YouTube and TikTok are the top social media platforms for Gen Z. And as a result of being a digital native, research shows that Gen Zers process information faster than the rest of us. Second thing about Gen Z is that they are the most racially and ethnically diverse of all generations. Another fun fact about Gen Zers is they stay up late. I mean, like three in the morning late. They have an eight-second attention span, and they could be the most educated generation in history. Part of that is because there's fewer Gen Zers that drop out of high school, and there's more of them that are going to college. So don't be fooled by the idea that Gen Zers stay up till three in the morning and they have an eight-second attention span because they process information faster than you and I do, and they're likely to be better educated than we were. But here's the last thing I want you to know about the Generation Z, and that is is they're not buying it, and there is a generational gap in religious affiliation. New research shows that Gen Z is the least religious generation yet and the first truly post-Christian generation, and they are more likely to be atheists. So more than any other generation before them, Gen Z does not assert a religious identity. The percentage of Gen Z that identifies as atheist is double that of the general U.S. population. That is to say that 35% of Generation Z identify as atheist or agnostic. And so for Gen Z, atheist is no longer a dirty word. The percentage of teens who identify as such is rapidly growing. Gen Z has much less attachment to religion than their preceding generation, the millennials. Gen Z also is waging a battle against depression, addiction, and hopelessness. So that is an interesting uh, set of things about Gen Z. We're going to pick up the rest of the podcast. 
which is that Generation Z is the least religious generation. However, they're the generation that has most struggled with depression, addiction, and hopelessness. So in my spiritual direction and deconstruction coaching with people that are from Generation Z, I can tell you that they aren't all that concerned about whether God really commanded armies to commit genocide in the Old Testament. They're really not all that worried about, worried about if Jesus bodily rose from the dead because they are trying to figure out if life has meaning and if it's worth living. So if you wanna look at a way to deal with these realities within Generation Z, a couple of good places to look would be Viktor Frankl's logotherapy and something called existential psychotherapy. Logotherapy and existential psychotherapy relate particularly to Generation Z. And there you go. That's the fun fact of the day. Generation Z is on the rise. Which leads me to the topic of today's podcast, which is nihilism. Which doesn't seem to be the happiest topic to discuss, but I want to have a discussion about it in today's non-religious spirituality podcast, especially given that nihilism is on the rise for the Generation Z and many other people, particularly when they leave religion and all the absolutes and all the answers to life's existential questions that were attached to their belief in God. So to do this, let's talk a little bit about the philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. One of the most famous lines attributed to Nietzsche is the phrase, God is dead. Now, Nietzsche's point is not meant to be taken literally as though he believed that the God of Christianity existed and then died. No, Nietzsche's God is dead idea is that what the God of Christianity represented died. Darwin's Origin of the Species and Theory of Evolution have been published, and now science had answers to the origins of our species that did not necessitate belief in a creator God. Right, and that theme has continued to today. The more science discovers about the universe, it appears the less it requires an explanation of God. So Nietzsche knew that the idea that God is dead would leave an existential black hole, and that black hole is sometimes referred to as nihilism. In a nutshell, nihilism is the viewpoint that traditional values and beliefs are unfounded and that existence is meaningless. I mean, you can see how this would have happened, right? Human beings have tended to feel that the universe and human existence must have a central or organizing meaning and purpose of that life would hardly be worth living in the absence of it. So for many people, God is the center. God is the answer to life's most significant existential questions. And so if you take God out of the equation, one can be shaken to the core. And so Nietzsche believed that the corrosive effects of nihilism would eventually destroy all moral, religious, and metaphysical convictions and could participate the greatest crisis in human history. And you might say that that human history crisis is occurring right now, and it's on the rise through Generation Z. Now, let's just be frank here. Human beings have an enduring conflict and anxiety that flows from 
the person's confrontation with the givens of existence. Some of the ultimate concerns that arise from this are an apprehension of one's finiteness or the fear of death, or the fear of non-being. There's also the struggle with the meaninglessness of existence and the radical freedom in the absence of external structure or a ground of absolutes. We can also feel an existential isolation. In other words, it dawns on us that we enter into the world alone. We basically live in this world alone and we will depart the world alone. These givens of existence, these cold, hard facts of the universe can be deeply troubling for the person who no longer believes that God and religion are a credible way of dealing with us. So let's enter into the discussion. Albert Camus, playwright, novelist, and philosopher, Albert Camus coined the term absurdism. And Camus said that despite all of our irrational nostalgia for unity, absolutes, a definite order, meaning to our existence, that there really is no such meaning that exists that we live in a silent and indifferent universe. And so Camus would say that between this yearning for meaning and these eternal hopes that we have in our heart and the actual condition of the universe, that there is a gap that can never be filled. And the confrontation of this, what Camus would say, this irrational longing of the human heart the confrontation between that and the indifferent universe brings about the angst of the absurd. Now, some of you might say, okay, maybe I'm just going to tune out of this podcast right now because it's getting pretty be pretty bleak and pretty depressing, huh? You know, like that might be a response that some people might have. But let me just put the brakes on this a little bit and say a couple things. First, of course, this view of Albert Camus assumes several things that can't be known for certain about the universe, right? Like we can't know for certain what the fundamental nature of reality is. We can't know the ground of existence really and so on. But let me also say that despite his absurdism, Camus believed that one could cultivate meaning against the backdrop of the cold, hard facts of the universe. Now, the way that Albert Camus presented this idea is through the myth of Sisyphus, which you can go and read on your own, but essentially the myth of Sisyphus, the myth of Sisyphus is the olive, the olive branch of Camus to nihilism. And basically the moral of the story of the myth of Sisyphus is that there is no greater meaning in life but what we give it. In other words, it's not that we need to find a meaning that is the absolute overarching meaning to life that we all must orient ourselves around, but that instead that we are the meaning makers and we are to give meaning to life. So when we accept that the universe has no inherent meaning or reason, 
Camus would say, then we are free. We are free from all the artificial expectations and all the things that religion has said is the meaning of God and all the way that we've attached this, all these supernatural and religious beliefs that we no longer hold. That To say that the universe has no inherent meaning means that now you have been freed from the artificial expectations laid upon you and you can embrace this absurd aspect of the lived human experience and you can create meaning in your life going forward. Well, let's see, we've talked about Frederick Nietzsche, we've talked about Albert Camus, we might as well talk about Jean-Paul Sartre. French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre, he also spoke about this all, this, this thing about meaning and about our existential place in the universe. And one of the things that Sartre wrote was, man is condemned to be free because once thrown into the world, he is responsible for everything it, he does. It is up to you to give life a meaning. Now, again, at first glance, a person may see Sartre's statement and think of it as a real downer and even, you know, downright depressing. But you really have to get where he's coming from. Sartre is touching upon a few important ideas here that I kind of want to wrap up the podcast and pass along to you. The first is remembering that we didn't choose this. In Sartre's view, no human being chooses their existence. You're here because a man and woman conceived you and then you were born into this world through no choice of your own. We didn't choose this, but we're here. I mean, why get stuck in the quagmire or trying to figure out exactly where we came from? Sartre just says, forget that, you're here now. <laughs> you're here now. There's no debating that. Let's just figure out what it means to move forward while we're here. The second thing that Sartre was saying is that freedom can be terrifying, right? Like we tend to think very highly the idea of being free and having freedom, but Sartre said this is nonsense and we're only masking the fact that we are terrified of it. He said that the reason why religion, for that matter, any political, philosophical, or cultural belief system the reason why these are so popular among the masses is because we like to derive our sense of meaning and direction in life through some external source that we imbue with truth and authority. That's why we become so attached to them. They are what give us a sense of security, of certainty and identity in the world. They protect us from this existential angst. Religion provides a buffer to prevent us from having to cope with the givens of human existence. And so freedom is terrifying. And Sartre understood this. And this is why we turn religion and philosophy and politics and to cultural belief systems to help lighten the load of that burden. The third point of Sartre is that you are responsible for everything. Sartre identifies what he believes about the human condition, which is that we are responsible for everything. In other words, you are responsible for giving life meaning. You are responsible for all your beliefs and actions in the world. 
There is not an external God or an external source that figures this out for you. And there's no external God or source you can appeal to when it doesn't work out. It's all you. Right. And that's a little terrifying. Right. That's the kind of freedom that Sartre said that we were fearful of. That's the kind of freedom we're trying to get away from sometimes through our attachments to religion. However, Sartre said, why do we think about this as a curse? Why can it not be an invitation? I mean, this may all sound quite bleak and grim, but Sartre said all of this can be taken as a blessing and as an invitation into the fullest possibilities of what it means to be human. In fact, Sartre thought that until you front these essential facts of life, you can never be truly free and experience the great rewards of being so. So in my spiritual direction work with people, one area we discuss is cultivating something called existential health which is finding personal existence meaningful, cultivating meaning, and becoming competent to cope with the difficulties that life brings. Right, so for Generation Z, we discussed this. There is something called physical health. There's something that's called mental health. There's something that's called emotional health. I would like to suggest that we need to start talking about existential health. Because think about it, existence does have a physical meaning already, right? It is that which physical existence is that which takes up space. If it has mass, then it exists. I mean, this is a publicly observable physical quality that defines existence. But with this definition, it wouldn't matter if you were a cadaver because that takes up some kind of physical existence, or if you were a living person, both of, the, both of them take up space. Physical existence is taking up space. Therefore, the question becomes not just the physical meaning of existence, which is taking up space, but a person's existence, living existence, the question is, what comprises a person's existence? From what does one derive meaning and purpose and importance? And when a person begins questioning their religion, a religious belief structure, they face a developmental crisis. They are essentially left with two choices. The first choice is to commit to the life structure that has worked out this far because it's predictable, it's safe, it's familiar, but it's also limited. Because it limits growth and self-actualization, the first choice may be existentially unhealthy. Leaving religion may be, for many people, the path to existential health, and staying in religion could be existentially unhealthy, even though it's safe, even though it's comfortable, even though it's a way of, a way of coping with the givens of the universe, it might be the unhealthiest thing a person does. But the second choice, the second choice, it's true. It's unpredictable. It's possibly unsafe. It can be unfamiliar. Leaving your belief structure, leaving your religion, questioning the answers to all those big existential questions 
that can be volatile, but it has the benefit of growth. I mean, either choice is understandable, right? Who can be ridiculed for wanting things to remain as they are when by and large, this seems to have worked out. But the point is that the post-religion, post-God space for many people who are deconstructing, it can be volatile. The work of cultivating existential health or well-being is an aspect of this. And for some people, they will be able to reframe religion and reframe God to be able to do this. But not everyone is going to be able to do this. And it sounds like that Generation Z is going to struggle doing that. More and more Generation Zers are not looking at reframing the Bible, cultivating a more progressive Christianity as a path forward with their spirituality. They have lost faith. To Generation Z, God is dead. 35% of this generation of people in the United States claim to hold no belief in God. And the result of that, as Nietzsche predicted, is the black hole of nihilism. The struggle with the most significant foundational questions. Is there meaning? Is life worth living? Is there a way to proceed here? Given the realities of the universe, given the reality that I'm finite, given the reality that I'm going to die, given the reality that there is not one size fits all inherent organizing principle to the universe, how do I move forward with that? And maybe you're trying to move forward with that. Maybe that's where you're currently in your deconstruction process. Maybe you have left your former evangelical beliefs about God and you've not quite formulated a path forward where you feel a sense of meaning and certainty and order and identity in your life. Well, you've come to the right place. These are the things that we discuss on this podcast. And I'm not bringing up nihilism because I want to be negative or I want to you know, put out a message that it's terrible and people leaving religion, it's all bleak and grim and horrible. I'm just telling you what I see in my personal experience with people who are deconstructing and leaving religion behind. This is why I founded the Center for Non-Religious Spirituality. You can go to nonreligiousspirituality.com to check out some further discussions and resources about this. You can send me a message. I want to know what you think about this podcast. I want to know what you think about Generation Z. I want to know what you think about nihilism. I want to know what you think about deconstructing your faith and trying to cultivate existential health in the midst of a collapse of your most foundational belief structure. All right, I'll throw a, throw a few notes in the podcast uh, notes section about where you can get some more resources, maybe a couple books to read on this topic, and then we'll see you again soon. Thanks 
for listening to today's non-religious spirituality podcast. I'm Jim Palmer. We will talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. Visit nonreligiousspirituality.com to find community, resources, and more.